We're in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-7. through 7. I'm going to read the passage to you, and then we're going to take some time to break it down. And like I said, we're going to look at a lot of Scriptures tonight, so be ready, be ready for that. Peter says, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Now, like I said before I started the recording tonight, uh, these are the passages we're going to tr- the passage we're going to try to cover. We won't get all the way through this. I already know that for a fact. So uh, we'll just see how far we get, and we'll just pick up from where we leave off next week. Peter now addresses the elders. All right, he's been speaking in this letter to the church, or the churches, if you will, the scattered Christians in Asia Minor. In chapter one, verse one, he calls himself an apostle, which he was. But now speaking to the elders, he states that he's an elder as well. And that's kind of a neat thing. He could have easily pulled the apostle card out to speak to the elders. But he speaks to the elders there in the churches as a fellow elder. Now, basically, the Greek word translated elder means older person. But it's obvious from this context and many others that we're going to look at tonight that it refers also to an office of leadership in the church. And so what we're going to deal with tonight is we're going to take some time to really look at scripturally what is this thing elders? What are these elders that we read about in the Bible? Because many of us come from Baptist backgrounds that don't have elders Well, many of us are afraid of the term elders. We know it's in the Bible, but we just want to stay away from it. And I just really felt like tonight God wanted us to really look at it scripturally and to take some time to deal with this. Because as you'll see, the New Testament is full of this term elder as an office in the church. But it's not something we in the church even use. And so uh, there are churches that do, and there are some that understand it's, it's designed by God. There are some that don't. And we're just going to try to dive right into that. So typically, though, there's an understanding that an elder would have maturity to them. doesn't mean that it's impossible for a younger person to be an elder. But as you will see, there are some strict qualifications. And so the term does mean older person. Some of your translations later on in, in verse 5 says, when it says young men in the same way be submissive to those who are older some of your translations say to the elders alright and so uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a parallel there uh, between older man and elder but you're going to see that's an office of leadership so in here in this passage look at verse 2 he tells them to be shepherds of those under your care now actually in the Greek rendering of this it almost it actually brings out that there was more than one elder in each church. There was a plurality of leadership that God designed for churches and each elder if you will had responsibilities those who are under their care. And then of course he also says don't do this or be an elder for the money. Right? Doesn't he say that not doing it for the money? Well, it's obvious now that there was a group of people under their care and they were not to do it for the money, he's not talking to the old people in the church. He's talking to 
a group of people who have been given responsibility of leadership in the church. And so what I want to do now is walk you through a bunch of scriptures that deal with elders. And let's start taking a look at what does the Bible actually say about elders? What are these people? Who are these people? Go to Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. In Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23, it says, They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, Committed and committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Now, if you know Acts 13, jump back to Acts 13, you'll see in the church in Antioch there were some elders. They were, called, they were prophets and teachers with their specific gift mix. And it listed the five of them, Simeon, Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean who had been brought up with the the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, God said, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work I have for them. And he sent Barnabas and Saul off on the missionary journeys. Now when we get to chapter 14, Barnabas and Saul are on their missionary journeys, and they're preaching the good news, people are coming to faith in Jesus. And in each of the churches, you can see in verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders. Okay? Now, that's important. Again, if this term elder just means older person... You don't need to appoint old people. They're kind of easy to spot. You know what I'm saying? Alright? <laughs> I don't mean anything by that. No, no jokes about Q-tips or anything have gone through my head at all. But, here we see in Acts 14 that they appointed elders in each church. Now, go to, to Acts chapter 20 and look at verses 17 through 31. Acts chapter 20 and verses 17 through 21 says, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am, not, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which He bought with His own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. Now here, Paul, as he's on his journey, knows that he can't get back to Ephesus. So he sends for the elders of the church there in Ephesus to come meet him in Miletus. 
And so while he's there, he says goodbye to them. And then he even tells them, and if you look closely here, did you notice that he was saying almost word for word what Peter was saying in chapter 5? Look, he, he, he describes the elders' responsibilities in the same way Peter did. He even calls them the same thing that, that Peter did. Go back to chapter 5. Keep a bookmark in, in Acts 20 here. Look at chapter 5 of 1 Peter. He says in verse 2, he says, Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving as what? As overseers, all right, and then he goes into his and how he wants them to go about it. Back here in chapter twenty, in verse twenty-eight, he says, "Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which He bought with His own blood." Again, Peter says the same thing to him. This, as we see here now, the elders, part of the elders' responsibility was a shepherding, was an, a, an overseeing, was a looking after, was a. Because they were men who were older and had more wisdom, they had a responsibility to kind of guide the church. And so he even says, look, from within the church, there's going to be people that come up to draw followers after themselves. You guys are going to have the responsibility of having to watch out for that and to be recognizing that. And I'm just going to touch on this now and I'll get to it more later. One of the things, though, is in our churches today, we have not really ever looked at or applied the importance of elders. Yes, we'll say, well, we have pastors. Yes, but let's be honest. As you're about to see, as we go on with Scripture, and I'm not going to talk about it just now, I want you to just, if you think your pastors in your church that's congregationally governed, if you think your pastors are the elders, tell me if what we're looking at here actually applies to the authority that they've been given. Alright, let's keep looking. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Go to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 through 20. It says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. Now here we see three things from this passage about elders. One, the elders are to direct the affairs of the church. Two, the ones whose job is preaching and teaching should be paid. Do you see that? I think the Bible teaches that not every elder is supposed to be getting a salary because they're an elder. I think the Bible teaches that not just the paid pastoral preachers and teachers are elders, but I think that the Bible teaches there should be some godly men from within the body who are elders. But those whose responsibility is the preaching and the teaching are worthy of double honor. All the elders are worthy of double honor, especially those, though, who are responsibilities preaching and teaching. Those elders, he says, don't muzzle the ox. Third thing we see here, though, is this. Their leadership should be taken seriously. And he says, don't be quick to judge them. He says, don't, don't bring an accusation against another. In other words, and you're going to see this in other passages coming up. Take the fact that God has given them this responsibility seriously and don't be sitting back in judgment of them. Again, I'm going to let the Spirit talk to you about whether or not we've let our pastors have elder-type authority and responsibility in our churches. And again, like you just heard me say, I don't believe the Bible teaches that just the paid pastoral staff is supposed to be the elders. Go to Titus chapter 1. Keep turning right. You're in 1 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy then Titus. Look at verses 5 through 9. 
Paul says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless. The husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Here we now see that there are serious qualifications who are those who are going to be elders. Now, again, you have seen by now that what we're talking about here is not old people, right? We're talking about an office in the church that God has designed that there should be a leadership group called elders who have the responsibility of directing the affairs of the church, overseeing the body. Now, let me quickly say, you will not see in Scripture that the elders make all the decisions. There are some that have taken the elder model and they have just had a group of elders and the elders make all the decisions in the church and the body has no input. That's not what the Bible teaches. You could see, and we don't have time to even turn there, if you go to Acts 15, you'll notice that there were some people from the church in Jerusalem went down to Antioch and said to the church in Antioch, because they were Gentiles, that they had to be circumcised or they weren't really saved. Paul and Barnabas, remember, are elders in the church in Antioch. Remember, there were prophets and teachers in Antioch there. Barnabas and Paul were, uh, were two. They got upset about this. They went to the church in Jerusalem, and they met with the church about this. And then the scripture clearly says that the elders got alone together to wrestle over this issue. And when the elders were done wrestling with it, they brought it back to the body. The body was involved in the final decision. And the body is the one who chose who was going to go from the church with the letter back to Antioch saying, we're really sorry that these guys from our church and did this. But you see that wonderful process, how the body's in, excuse me, involved in the process. But ultimately, who are the ones who have been given the responsibility by God to deal with the issue? But you know what we do in our churches today that are congregationally governed? We throw open to the floor for discussion issues that the body is not spiritually able to handle, nor should be ever given that responsibility, but everybody nowadays loves their say. Everybody wants an input. Some of you have heard me tell this story. I was at a church in North Carolina, and uh, they were having a business meeting while I was preaching revival, which is amazing in and of itself to me that in the middle of revival you're going to have a business meeting. Because you could have revival, but it stops as soon as business meeting goes on. And in this church, and, 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 and I'm telling you this is the truth. What I'm about to tell you, you're going to think I'm joking. The pastor got up and asked for permission to go to Sam's and buy toilet paper for his, the parsonage that the church owned, where him and his four kids, they have five now, lived. It now is open for discussion. <laughs> Because that's how it works. It's, it's, it's come from a person in position, so it didn't have to be seconded, according to Robert's Rules of Order, and don't get me started on that. And now it's open for discussion. One lady raises her hand and says, well, how much do all your, your kids use? Another lady says, my mama taught me how to get four swipes out of one square. Have them come to my house. I'll tell them how to use the paper more efficiently. I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? But this was life as usual. 
the body was so used to everybody having a say. I was at another church. It was in... I'm just going to tell you where it was. I won't tell you what church. It was in Live Oak, Florida. And while I was there, in the middle of week of revival, there was another business meeting. And in this one, people from the Buildings and Grounds Committee stood up and asked for $2,500 to buy a new shed because the church was growing. They had increased the size of their fellowship hall. In order to do that, they had to tear down their shed, and, they, and the old shed, and now they needed to put a new one up. And so they had been wrestling over this issue as their Buildings and Grounds Committee for a while. They needed the church approval to spend the $2,500 to get the new shed. Well, again, coming from a committee, it doesn't need a second. So now it's up for discussion. And for the next half hour or more, people started asking questions like this. Well, do we even need a shed? Well, what are we going to put in it? Well, have you looked at this kind of material? Well, my brother-in-law, he builds sheds. And I sat there and finally couldn't take it anymore. I stood up in the middle of the meeting. I said, look, I know I'm not a member. And according to your rules, I'm not even allowed to speak. But you've asked me to come in and give you spiritual direction for this week. Here's your spiritual direction. If I was on the Buildings and Grounds Committee, I would quit tonight. Because what was the point of their meeting for all these months when all y'all are going to rehash everything that they've been wrestling with if you don't trust them, if you don't think they're able to make this decision, don't give them the responsibility. Why in the world would you make them do all that work and then you all rehash everything? I mean, folks, let me just tell you, don't just sit back and think about Live Oak. I can guarantee you the Spirit of God may bring to your mind right now things that have happened in your churches where men have prayed over issues for a while. But then it had to be presented to the body for final approval and then it was open for discussion and the body wrestled over issues that the elders should have wrestled over and the body actually wasn't spiritually mature enough to even handle the issues and chaos erupted because of it. Did it not? Amen. And factions and envy and strife. I'm going to jump to something here real quick and then I'm going to come back to our, th- our, our study. I What's that? Do you want to know if they got the money? Let me tell you what happened next with that. They not only got the money, the people that were on the Buildings and Grounds Committee all wanted to kiss me on the mouth. But, every, but no, I didn't let them. But everybody, everybody else was mad at me. And I had a man tell me, that's just how we do things here. But listen, I'm just going to say this now. It would be a waste of our time to even look at Peter's instructions to the elders in the church if we're unwilling for there to be any such position. I mean, why are we even taking the time to even look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-7 through 7 tonight? Why? Because if we're not going to apply it, if we're not going to take it seriously, if we're going to just say, well, that's how we do things here, Folks, I just want to encourage you. I'm speaking to a group of people from many different churches. For those that are listening online, this is not a Bible study of one church. There are eight to ten different churches represented here. I'm speaking to all of you. My prayer is is that your churches would get to be faithful to the Scriptures. Are we willing to trust God? And we'll come back to that in a little bit. Now go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7. through I guess this is one of the passions of my heart because I've seen so many churches who have been damaged and people that have been hurt because the body tried to do what God designed the elders to do. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7. through Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach. 
the husband of but one wife. And by the way, let me just say that real quickly. We saw Titus' instruction in saying it the same way. The best translation of the Greek is a one-woman man. For too many years, the people have said, well, he's been divorced. He's not qualified. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible teaches that he needs to be above reproach as a man who's known to be faithful to the one he's married to. I think if you get a pornography issue, it makes you disqualified. You're not a one-woman man. This is a serious thing here. I'm not taking it lightly. But there are those who have been divorced before they even came to know Christ. There are those who God has forgiven and healed. David did a horrible thing with Bathsheba, but God kept him in authority. God does forgive. This isn't saying if you've had a divorce, you're no longer qualified. This is saying, are you above reproach to be known as a one-woman man? Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he must may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. I'm only going to read the first part of the next verse. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect and so on. Listen closely. Here we see that there's a difference between elders and deacons. Do you see it? There, we, we got deacons in our churches, but we don't want elders. You know why we don't want elders? Because we want to have a say in how things go. And we don't trust God enough that His plan would work. And so we run the show in our churches. And God says, are you having fun? Go on now to... Well, let me just say this real quick. This role, if you've already caught on, was also designed by God for who? Men or women? It's been really clear throughout this. This has been a role... This, is, this role here has been designed by God for men. It says, he, 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 husband of one wife. It is very clear that this is a role that God has designed for men. Alright? Now, before we move on, I want to point out two other passages that need to be looked at in this context. Go to 1 Thessalonians. Turn left now. You're in the T section still. Turn left. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are what? Over you. Do you see that? Who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And here, here what Paul's saying is, is, look, we're in the church, we're to respect those who are over us in the Lord. But in most of our churches today, ain't nobody over us. You and your churches that are congregationally governed, who's over you? And they say, well, the pastor. And I laugh. And they say, oh yeah, we can vote him out tomorrow if we wanted to. You're not, you don't want someone over you. That's part of the problem. And the Bible also says that you're to respect them and hold them in high regard. Why? Because of the work, their work. Because of the position God has given them. Because of the role and the responsibilities God has given them. Folks, if you haven't heard me talk on this, and I'm not going to go into it in too much detail, But I believe God has designed in the church and in the family similar governing styles. I believe that God's design for the family and how the family should be governed or run, if you will, is the same way in which God has designed the church. Now, we may not follow it, 
But we all would agree on what God's design for the family is. We know full well that there are, take mom and dad, they're the parents, call them the elders. And you got the kids, call them the congregation. Alright? And the picture fits in a lot, of, a lot of ways. But listen, ultimately, who is responsible according to God's design for how things go in the family? No, mom and dad. God has designed mom and dad to be responsible for that. Now, and I'm going to get to what you're talking about, Allison, in just a second. Now, in a, in, a, in a godly family, though, the kids have input. The kids' opinions are respected. The kids' opinions are listened to. Where would you like to go for dinner? Where would you like to go on vacation? Do the kids ultimately get to make the final say? No. How many times have your kids said, it's a democracy, and there's three of us and two of you, we all get a vote. And those of you who are parents have said, our votes count worth two. Remember? Remember those conversations you've had? But there's input. There, there's, there's valued input. But ultimately the decision has been left in mom and dad's hands. And the Bible also says that if there is disagreement among the elders, God has set it up that if need be, the husband is accountable before God to make the final say. Now, in a godly family, you don't have a husband that says, what I say is the law and everything I say goes. No, no, no. There's input. He's a first among equals. In the same way, among the plurality of leaders who have been given the responsibility of eldership in the church, there should be a senior pastor. i got no problem with that. But I have a problem if he's the one who makes all the decisions and the rest of them all say, yes, sir, yes, sir. That's not God's design either. At the same time, as your kids get older, you start to give them more responsibility and maturity, don't you? After a while, as the kids start to get older, you say, Hey, uh, Nicole, why don't you uh, take your your brother or your sister to their band practice for us? Because Mom and I have to do this. Could you help out? Could you help with dinner? Guess what? They're becoming deacons. As they start to get more mature and show that they are full of the Spirit and wisdom, they can handle other responsibilities that are taking care of the physical needs of the body where the pastors and the elders are responsible for the spiritual direction and the overall affairs of the church. And in time, some of those deacons become elders. Do you see it? But what's happened is we have Americanized the church. And we sure do love our democracy. And we sure do love our everybody gets a vote. And folks, I'm just telling you, a lot of damage has been done. A lot of hurt has been accomplished Because we have not been willing to deal with the fact that our Bibles are full of this term, elder. I'm just going to encourage you prayerfully. If God were to use you, to not just go and say, we're going to do this, no, lovingly as God would lead, begin praying that God would raise up godly leadership in your church. And by the way, you would be amazed at actually the people that are scared to death of this type of a leadership design would find in time that it's the most freeing, most wonderful thing. I know of a lady who left a Southern Baptist church which was congregationally governed and she went to a different church when they retired and she was scared to death because they had elders. And she even told us, she said, I don't know what's going on. She's used to having her say in everything. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. A few months later she came back and she said, it's wonderful. I don't know what's going on. And I don't I get to work in the area that God's gifted me. I get to teach children. I get to play the piano. I get to do what it is. And He's given that responsibility to people and I don't want their job. You know, when you were kids, you always wanted to be in charge. Wouldn't it be good to be the parent? And they said, you really want it? 
Here are the bills. Here are the taxes. Here's, well, I don't want that. You really don't want to be mom and dad when you're not ready, do you? Respect those who are over you in the Lord and hold them in high regard because of the position God has given them as parent, if you will. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verse 17. Here again, the Hebrew writer is writing to the church. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They must keep watch over you as men who must give an account. It actually says in James chapter 3, Don't every one of you want to be teacher. Because those who are given that responsibility are going to be held in higher accountability. Don't Again, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. You're going to see this in a little bit. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. Folks, let me just tell you. We always complain about the fact that pastors don't stay very long. The average tenure of a pastor today is, and we can all quote the months. You want to know part of the reason why? You want to know one of the main reasons why? Burnout. And the fact that they have been asked to lead and to have authority over a group of people that will never acknowledge their authority. You know what most of our pastors are today? Glorified babysitters. And the kids say, you're not my mom. You're not my dad. Now, are there those who would take this authority and abuse it? Yes, but you got a big God. The Bible says He'll take care of that. We're afraid of going in this direction. I think it ultimately says what we really believe about the sovereignty of God and the authority of God. And I guarantee you, if you would prayerfully allow God to move you in this direction, you'd be amazed at what God would do for His glory if you would follow His design for the church. Like I said, it would be a waste of our time. You can go back there to 1 Peter 5. It would be a waste of our time to go look at Peter's instructions to the elders in the church if we're unwilling for there to be any such position. But now I want to talk to you about what God says through Peter to the elders. Now stick with me. You say, well, I'm not an elder. I don't feel called to be an elder. Stick with me because you're going to find something in here for you as well. Peter pleads with the elders to not only do a good job in their responsibilities, but also to do their responsibilities with the right motives. He says, don't do what you're doing by obligation or duty. Not because you must, but because you're willing. Don't be in it for the money, but eager to serve. I wrote a little note to myself here. I wrote, ironically, many churches have decided to pay their pastors little enough so they won't have to be tempted in this area. It's sad, but it's true. You'd be amazed at how many churches go to find out what's the least we can pay this guy. I'm not kidding you. That's how they go at it. What's the least we can pay? There's a phrase that went around. Bill, you've been around. You've probably heard this one. You've been in church for years. There's the old saying that says, Lord, give us a poor, humble preacher. You keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. You've heard that, haven't you? Lord, give us a poor, humble preacher. You keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. Now, the Bible says they're not to be in it for the money, yet at the same time, the Bible also, you've already seen, says that the church should be treating them with double honor and making sure that they're paid and paid well. The Bible also says here that they're not to be domineering or controlling. 
They have authority that can be wielded. I don't want you to miss that. Obey your leaders. Obey, it said there twice in that passage. Respect them. Hold them in high regard, those who are over you. There is an authority here that God has given. We're so afraid of this that we don't want to go there, but there is such a thing. But here, the elders are told, don't lord your authority over the people that God has put under your care. Don't abuse the power that you've been given or the position that you've been given. And interestingly enough, this word he uses of um, lording it over them is the exact same word Jesus used in Mark chapter 10. Go back to Mark chapter 10. I'm sitting there looking at this as I was reading it and I thought, Peter was paying attention when Jesus talked to him in Mark 10. Go to Mark 10. Look at verses 42 through 45. Jesus called them together, verse 42 of chapter 10, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Doesn't that sound like what Peter just says here? Not lording your authority over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. He remembered what Jesus said. A good elder, a godly elder, is not someone that's going to say, well, I'm the boss and that's the way it goes. A godly elder is going to be someone that says, this is what God says, and not only are we going to go that way because that's what God says, let me get down here in the dirt with you and let's do this together. I mean, one of the biggest things to me that helped me when I was um, trying to become a godly dad is God was beginning to work in my heart and move me from legalism to grace. And it changed my parenting. I used to see God in a certain manner and I, I, I misunderstood who He was. And, and uh, as He started to help me understand His grace and who He was, it changed how I parented. And my kids will tell you, there used to be that I used to say when they were little, clean your room. And then I'd come and check on whether or not it was done and done right. But as God began to teach me what it meant to be a godly father, I would say, clean your room. And then I would come and say, you want some help? And we got it done together. Do you understand? You remember when you were little guys, we used to play the gopher game? I found sometimes the quickest way to get the job done was to just me pick it up and say, I need a gopher. And they'd come running. And I'd say, Gopher, could you put this on this bookshelf? And they'd run over there. And then I'd say, I'd pick something else up. I need a Gopher. And a Gopher would come running up and they'd say, I'm here. Hey, Gopher, could you, uh, could you put this in the toy box? And we'd get the room done quick. But you know, when they were little and they looked at that room, you remember what it was like. As a parent, you look at it and say, this will be done in 10 minutes. They'd look at it and go, that'll never get done. <laughs> remember that? But you know, your Heavenly Father is the same way with you. He doesn't tell you to do something. He says, do this, and then He says, I want to do it with you and through you. It'll change how you lead if you understand who God is. Don't lord your authority. You've been given authority, elders. Don't lord it. Be an example to the flock. But there's a theme that's running here through this whole passage that I think some of you might have missed. And I'll be honest with you, I've never seen it until God showed it to me. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. He says, so then those who suffer according to, the, to God's will 
should suffer, sorry, should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. Where we left off last week, he said, those who are suffering according to God's will, remember you are in the furnace of affliction, he's using trials to shape you. He said, you should commit yourself to who? To God, your faithful Creator. Allison brought out last week at the end of the lesson that her translation said what? Trust Him. Right? Now, you keep in mind, when Peter was writing this, he didn't say, okay, let's start chapter 5. So, this thought is flowing here. So he says, commit yourself, trust yourself to your Creator. Now, Peter thinking in his mind, I also know that in the time being, God has given under-shepherds. I want to speak to them now. We're to trust ourselves to our shepherd. But I want to trust ourselves, I want to speak to the ones who have been given authority as under-shepherds. You see, he addresses the under-shepherds who have been given a responsibility to lead and teach God's disciples. People whom the disciples were to follow and trust in some sense as well. Then in 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 4. Peter tells the under-shepherds that who's coming? The chief shepherd's coming. And he's going to reward them for their faithful service as under-shepherds. We're to trust ourselves to the chief shepherd who's faithful. But then he teaches and talks to the under-shepherds and says, when the chief shepherd comes, he's going to hold you accountable and he'll reward you for your faithful shepherding as under-shepherds. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, which we won't get really to till next week, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under whose mighty hand? God's, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. In other words, all through this, as He's dealing with the elders, is this theme of what He has just said to them. Trust yourself to your God. Now, for a time, as you're trusting yourself to your God, I have given you under-shepherds who have the responsibility of leading and guiding and directing and, and, and being examples. But ultimately, you said us keep your trust and your, cast your anxiety upon Him and keep, keep your trust in God. And that got me thinking back to the whole of history we see in the Bible. I want to walk you through in the time we have left here. Let's see what we got here. we got about 15 minutes. I think we can do it. I want to do a quick sum up of the in a tie together from Israel's history. Go with me to Psalm 23. Very good, Bill. I heard you saying it. The Lord is my what? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And all the way through it goes, He does this. He leads me. He guides me. He protects me. He does all this. Alright? Now, because you already know that, we don't have to finish turning there. Go to Isaiah 40, verse 11. Go to Isaiah 1, chapter 40, verse 11. And if some of you don't know all of Psalm 23, I'm sorry, go back and look at it later on. Isaiah, look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. Speaking of God, it says, He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arms, and He carries them close to His heart. He gently leads those that have young. I got this passage highlighted in my Bible because there was a time in my life that I really need to be reminded that God's hand is gentle. But again, here's what we're laying down now. Ultimately, we are to trust ourselves to who? God, who is our shepherd. And He tends His flock like a gentle shepherd. And He cares for you. But God gave Israel under-shepherds. 
He gave the nation of Israel under shepherds. Yes, he's the ultimate shepherd, chief shepherd, as you saw. But he also gave them under shepherds. Unfortunately, the under shepherds in Israel were bad. Let me show you a couple of places places to talk about it. Go to Jeremiah 23. And if some of you can't keep up with me, that's okay. Just write these down and look at them later on. Jeremiah chapter 23. Look at verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. You see it? There's some places that talk about the shepherds that feed only themselves. Well, go to Matthew 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I thought he had given them under shepherds. Yeah, he had given them under shepherds and the priests. What happened? They were corrupt. Oh, he had given them under shepherds in their homes, in the father's. But they weren't real good at that, were they either? See, a lot of you sit back and say, well, I'm not a shepherd. I'm not an elder. Oh, be careful. We've all been given some level or measure of authority. We've all been given some measure of responsibility. And all of it is to be pointing our uh, underlings, if you will, our sheep, to who? To Him. Mamas. You say, well, I thought elders were only for the men. Uh, Yeah, but you've been given a responsibility as a mama. You've been given a flock in your care. Your grandmamas, they're in your, they're under your care. You're to be pointing them to the true shepherd. So the Lord is our shepherd, ultimately. But then God gave Israel under shepherds. They didn't do a good job. They were bad. But then Jesus came as the good shepherd. Remember John chapter 10? I want you to see this. Go to John 10, 11 through 16. We all love to quote John 10, 10, how He came to give us life and life to the, to the full, or the abundant life. But look at verses 11 through 16. <clears throat> Again, He's speaking to the nation of Israel, but He references us Gentiles in here too, though. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. You see that? What's that? Who's the other sheep? That's us. It's us Gentiles. Again, at this point, he's still calling to the Jews. He was sent to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. He knew that the time when the Gentiles started to be drawn by the Father, that the time of the hardening of the Jews was coming. And so, at this point, he's still reaching out to the Jews. But the other sheep are us Gentiles. 
on other planets. <laughs> um, well, I'll be honest with you. The only way I would even listen to someone say this is talking about people on other planets and other worlds is if they had another scripture to back it up. Uh, anybody that can take one verse and try to make it say all sorts of stuff, you know. But uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe that was referring to dust mites. I, you know what I'm saying? We, we can't make up stuff unless there's other scripture to back it up. So if you just say to that person, you know, that's very interesting. Show me another place in the Bible that backs that up, because anything that is doctrinally sound is going to be backed up by the whole of Scripture. So, no, that's talking about us Gentiles. All right, now in the church, he's given us under shepherds again, has he not? Who will be held accountable for their work. Just like the under shepherds of the nation of Israel were held accountable. Those of us who have been called to be pastors, overseers, elders, those of us who have been given the responsibility to be leaders in the church as elders are going to be held accountable by God. I don't take that lightly, folks. I'll be honest with you. I don't take that lightly. The thing I'm praying for, though, is is that the church would understand the value and the need. See, because here's the problem. As some of you might have heard me share before, when our kids were little, there'd be times, and even now, there'd be times that they would disagree with the decision that mom or dad made. You've had that happen, have you not? And we would reason together... I mean, seriously, we would, we would seriously try to explain, but sometimes they're just going to say, I just don't see it the same way you see it. They have a right to have that opinion. But ultimately, when a decision had to be made, we would have to sometimes pull out the, who's the dad, who's the mom, who's the kid? And they'd say, well, you're the dad, you're the mom, I'm the kid. And then we'd say, who made it that way? And they'd say, God did. Well, what should be your response? Because we have kids that know the Lord and love the Lord, they said, I should listen to you. And they do. See, what made it work was not just the fact that Becky and I were following our role, but also that the children understood their responsibility. See, you know what the problem is in our churches today? If we even tried to, who's the one that's been given this responsibility? Who's been held up, who's going to be held accountable by God to make this decision? They're not willing to say, you, and God did that. That's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for churches that are willing to say, I don't have to have the final say, because the Lord is my shepherd. Go ahead, John. Jim, you've traveled all over the country. You've been to lots of different churches. Have you found many churches that follow this biblical... Actually, it's starting to happen a lot in many places. Uh, now, I will. Uh, by the way, for those who couldn't hear, especially if, since John was in the back, he said, in all my travels, have I found churches that follow this? Yes, it's starting to happen. But let me tell you, there are those that are making mistakes that have elders as well. The, the, if your elders think that they're just supposed to be a group of decision makers, it doesn't work. That doesn't work, and that's not God's design. As parents, you're hopefully not just decision makers. You have a concern for the kids. If, as parents, it's your job just to make decisions... That's not parental, God's design. Alright, same way in the church. The elders have to have a heart for the congregation. That's one of the things when I teach churches on how to move to this, that's one of the things we're looking for. Do these people have a heart for the congregation? That's what an elder really is. Kind of a deal. Um, Like I told you, John, there are some that think that the elders make all the decisions, the body has no input. That's not God's design. You know, I've heard some people say, well, we're not Presbyterians. I said, I didn't say the Presbyterians were always following the right model. I said, we're looking at the Bible here. You can't use what you've seen other people do. I want you to look at this. 
And it is happening. It is happening. Do they make mistakes? Just like you'd made mistakes as parents, and we make mistakes as parents. But God, I would rather see God's design misused than man's design misused, wouldn't you? Now, you know what the Bible says, though, is going to happen after the rapture of the church? The Bible actually says that Israel is going to sign a peace treaty with a false shepherd. I want you to see a passage that you might not have ever seen before. Go to Zechariah chapter 11. Remember, he's still not done with the nation of Israel. Remember, he's still got a seven-year period left in that prophecy in Daniel that has not been fulfilled yet. And when the time of the Gentiles is done, when the church age is over, and he gathers the bride, and he finishes with the nation of Israel, what he promised would happen, the 77s, and that last seven occurs... We know that it begins with the signing of the peace treaty, right? The covenant signed between the nation of Israel and the Antichrist. Listen to Zechariah chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. Then the Lord said to me, Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for I'm going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost, or seek the young, or heal the injured, or feel, feel, sorry, feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. This is talking about the Antichrist that's coming. And God is going to allow him to come into authority, and he's going to be a shepherd over Israel, and he is going to attack them. He's going to devour them. But go to Jeremiah 31, and we'll see how this is all going to end up. It's our last passage for tonight. Jeremiah 31, verses 10 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them, and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will ransom Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the oil, the young of the flocks and the herds. They will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. Has that happened yet? No, but it's going to. The one who scattered Israel, which is God, is going to gather them all back, and he's in the process of doing so. And after that time with that one last bad shepherd, he's now going to, then he's going to come and he's going to be their shepherd forever and ever and ever. The good news is we already have him as our shepherd forever and ever and ever. Has he given us under shepherds for a time in the church? Yes, he has. But don't put your full trust in them. Keep them in the Lord. The last thing I wrote in my notes here was, makes us want to take this elder, pastor, overseer, under shepherd thing a little more seriously, doesn't it? It's a very serious thing to God. However God would have you apply this, my prayer is that this lesson tonight would be used of God to go there. And when we come back next week, we'll pick up all the other stuff that wasn't dealing with elders from 1 Peter 5, 1-7. through But tonight I just really feel like God wanted us to really take a look at that and let Him do with it as He wishes. Let me pray for us. Father, again, I just all I can say is, is uh, it's obvious to us that there's a lot here. And in many of our churches... <laughs> We're talking major rewrite of the Constitution and bylaws to even head in this direction. 
And Lord, and in many of our churches, apart from Your awesome, miraculous provision, and many of our churches even heading this direction now would be a fight of, of major proportion. But Lord, I believe that You are able to change hearts. I believe that You are able through the power of Your Word to, 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 to speak to those who know You, who have Your Spirit within them, and that You will help each church individually show how You want this to be applied and put into practice in each place. Father, may we not try to turn this into a formula, but may we understand that this is a principle of leadership You've designed and that You want to move us in that direction for Your reasons. And so, Lord, my desire is not to make anything specific happen, but just teach and allow Your Spirit to show us specifically how this is to play out in each of our lives. And Lord, for some, we might not even really be hearing You talk to us about our local assembly as much as You might be hearing us speak to hear, We might be hearing You speak to us about our homes, about being godly moms and dads who model to the children who You really are. That we are not just decision makers or lording our authority. Or maybe we've realized that we have neglected some of the responsibility that we've been given. Lord, may we individually start in our homes, because Your Word said before anybody even desires to be an elder in the church, they need to have put this into practice in their home. May we actually apply these things in our homes, and then let You show us how they'll be applied in our churches. And Father, right now, I just feel a strong desire to pray for the ones who are pastors right now, who have been told by the congregation that they are the leader of the church, but ultimately they really aren't. And Father, I just pray right now for them. I know, I know names that are coming across my mind right now all around this country who are thinking about quitting, who are exhausted, who are burnt out, who are trying to be everything and yet at the same time they're having to deal all the time with kids who say, you're not my mom, you're not my dad. And so Father, may we ultimately put our faith and our trust in You and may we submit ourselves to those who are not only in authority in the government as we saw earlier in other passages in our study, but also submit ourselves to those You've given over authority over us in our churches. Father, bring this to fruition however You have designed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.